Hey, it's John Neerdink back for another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of thepowersweep.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. And if you're listening to this for the second consecutive week, thank you so much for coming back for another episode. Lots of good stuff to get to on the program today. We'll look at a few of the headlines from Packers training camp this week. Talk a little bit about the ongoing wide receiver competition and take a few of your questions as well. So let's get right down to it. Take a look at some of the headlines for this week. We start this week with linebackers. Bob McGinn wrapping up his position-by-position preview of this year's Green Bay Packers team. Uh, Talking a little bit about linebackers early last week, just after we recorded the podcast. This line really stuck out to me. He starts the piece. So what if the Packers have four, count them, four, number one first-round draft picks at outside linebacker? The success or failure of the linebacking core this season rests with the inside linebackers, none of whom was selected before the fourth round. Now, Bob obviously skewing the numbers a little bit in his favor there just by including Julius Peppers in that number of outside linebackers picked in the first round and uh, Dayton Jones in that number as well. Uh, Julius Peppers, of course, wasn't a first-round draft pick with the Packers and Dayton Jones, obviously not a first-round draft pick as an outside linebacker. But still, I think the point's still solid. The Packers are devoting a lot of resources towards outside linebacker both this year and over the last few years. Will it work? I don't know. We'll see. Will it work not devoting that many resources to inside linebacker? That question, I guess, remains to be answered. The Packers obviously were on the board when possibly the best inside linebacker prospect in the entire draft was still on the board in Miles Jack. He went to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the second round instead, so that's a storyline that I'll be watching throughout this year very closely, how he ends up doing in Jacksonville and how the Packers get along without the inside linebacker that they could have had. Speaking of linebackers, another headline popping up this week, Morgan Burnett playing a little bit of uh, dime linebacker. Uh, this quote from the story by the Journal Sentinel, in training camp's opening week, Burnett took reps as a nickel linebacker. He lined up beside rookie linebacker Blake Martinez, filling Jake Ryan's usual spot. There were six defensive backs on the field, two deep safeties behind Burnett, a small but fast personnel group. This is something you're starting to see a lot more throughout the entire NFL. The Arizona Cardinals most famously do this, uh, spending a first-round pick on a guy who's essentially a safety uh, but ends up playing technically linebacker in the NFL. Interesting to see the Packers doing this, and I think they kind of tried to do it a little bit last year with Joe Thomas playing dime linebacker. A little bit of an undersized guy. probably plays more like a safety than a linebacker, and that showed when he tried to line up against the run. Burnett, if anybody, is going to be able to do it from the Packers' secondary. It's going to be uh, Morgan Burnett. He's the most physical of the Packers' safeties, probably the best against the run, and like I said, if it's going to be anybody, it's got to be him. I don't know if this is something that the Packers want to do that regularly or super long-term, but it's something to keep an eye on. The fact that they're doing it in practice where everybody can see it shows that they don't care that people know it. So that leads me to believe, at least on the surface, it's something they may not be considering super seriously. But the fact that they're doing it at all probably shows that they're going to try it at least a couple times during the regular season. Another thing to keep an eye on uh, as we go through training camp. Interestingly enough, I think what this could mean the most is a guy like Joe Thomas could find himself in a little bit of trouble. 
coverage is the only thing that he does well. I know he added a little bit of weight in the offseason, and that's something that we'll talk about here in a couple minutes. But if they're putting someone as high profile in my, as Morgan Burnett into your job, I think if you're Joe Thomas, you have to be at least just a little bit worried. Something to keep an eye on. Moving on, Richard Rodgers lost a whole bunch of weight this offseason, and he's not the only one. He played last season at about 275. He complains in this piece from PackersNews.com that it was difficult at times to run precise routes, always felt a little bit banged up, had some knee problems, some ankle problems, as guys who carry a little bit of extra weight tend to do sometimes. He's hoping to play this season at about 258 pounds. He is not the only person who lost weight, a significant amount of weight, this offseason. Dayton Jones also slimming down. According to Pete Doherty of uh, PackersNews.com, the Green Bay Press-Gazette, uh, Dayton Jones down to about 275 pounds to play linebacker this year. That's about 10 pounds lower than I would have guessed they would have him at because I, I figured they would be at least rotating him through at defensive line from time to time, but that doesn't appear to be in the plans if they're having him go as light as 275. Apparently, that's quite a bit closer to where he played at when he was most successful at UCLA. So we'll see what this does for Dayton Jones. Uh, the weights being gained and lost, always a big training camp story each and every year for every single team in the NFL. You always hear about the guys who are looking good because they lost weight. Uh, you hear about the other guys who wanted to add some more bulk in the offseason, and so they're hoping that'll make them more effective as players. I can name two guys off the top of my head who supposedly bulked up this offseason uh, in Joe Thomas, who we mentioned earlier, and Jared Aberdera said he gained a few pounds of muscle, so that should help him be more successful uh, this season. I don't know if that actually works a whole lot. Uh, if it makes the guy feel better, maybe it does. Could be. We'll see. Uh, but Dayton Jones and Richard Rogers certainly among the more high-profile guys uh, trying to lose a little bit, bit of weight as we head towards the early part, through the early part of training camp. Finally, uh, the most interesting headlines, and uh, most interesting perhaps headline of the week, and you may have seen this pop up a few times in the field reports that Gary has been putting together on the blog this week. Uh, if you've been following that series, you've been seeing some video of the really weird and unusual drills that new Packers wide receivers coach Luke Getze has been putting guys through. Uh, catching bricks, catching tennis balls with one hand over their uh, one of their eyes, you name it, they've done it. Uh, I think he's throwing. Been I've seen him throw footballs to them from the steps in the Hudson Center. He has guys try to catch passes while while laying down on their backs. Uh, they look really crazy, and I guess you can kind of see just by looking at them how the the drills are supposed to work. I don't know if they actually work anything better than just trying to catch a football. But if they make you feel like you're a better wide receiver, maybe that makes you into an actual better wide receiver. So we'll see. Uh, Getze himself says it's all about getting back to basics. These drills kind of look about as opposite of basic as you possibly could be. But if it helps the Packers catch passes better, I guess I'm all for it. Finally, one thing you may have noticed if you are one of the lucky people who has actually gotten to go to training camp so far this year, Packers are using video cameras on giant poles instead of those lifts that they used to use, those cherry picker style list, uh, style lifts. Probably a little bit safer to do it this way. Um, I don't know. I always think it's interesting to see how teams are adapting and adopting new technologies to try and get whatever edge they can 
against their counterparts throughout the league. Will this actually give them any sort of extra edge? I don't know. But it's kind of interesting to see that they're they're trying something new. Finally, I uh, want to add a new segment to our headline section uh, called Things That You May Not Have Noticed Around the World of Packers Media, but I think it would be worth checking out. Uh, from the Green Bay NBC station, NBC26.com, an interesting story about Quentin Rollins connecting with a, a pretty special Packers family. Uh, the family of Sarah Foss, uh, Forster, uh, she's from Little Suit, Little Shoot, Wisconsin, not Little Suit. Uh, her, her son, Raymond, uh, has some disabilities. He can't speak, uh, but he act, uh, apparently is hanging out quite a bit with Quentin Rollins, uh, the second consecutive year that both of them are riding bikes together over to practice. And this apparently is extra special uh, for the Forster family because Sarah's other son, uh, Raymond's brother, died between football seasons. And he was one of the people who connected with Quentin Rollins last year. Now he's just uh, connecting with Raymond, uh, a kid with some disabilities who's uh, getting an extra special bit of attention from a Packers player. So I think that's pretty cool. Also, uh, if you want to spend a little bit more time listening to Packers-related things rather than reading, uh, maybe you should check out the UK and Irish Packers fan podcast. This is a fan club uh, based out of Ireland. And the guys that run this are just fantastic. I actually had the opportunity to talk with them last year. They had their first ever trip to Lambeau Field. These are guys who had never been to Wisconsin, had never been to an NFL football game before. They got hooked on the Packers a long time ago. And last year they made their trip over to Green Bay. And they've put together a fantastic podcast. They've got some great guests on the show. And recently they've been doing a Packers history podcast. And I just want to play you a little bit of it because I think it's so fantastic. Just listen how they describe the beginning of football in Green Bay, Wisconsin. The story goes these guys like to fight. They're Irish, right? They love to fight. They even love to fight now. It's the old cliche. It's the old story. Us, us Irish, we drink, we fight, and that's the way it was back then. He got these guys, and they were just basically thugs, and said to them, lads, you can beat the lard out of each other, but I'll teach you some rules so you can do it on a pitch. And apparently one of the stories goes is one of the early dudes uh, on the team turned around and said, oh my God, I love American football because you can beat seven shades out of somebody and not get thrown in jail. So that's the type of guys you're dealing with. And Ryan, that's why I love the story of the Green Bay Packers because in Wisconsin and Green Bay back at the time, it was these Irish, it was these paddies who were rattled onto the field and they just ran over I mean, if that clip doesn't sell you on listening to their Packers history series, I'm not sure what's going to. Go check it out. It's available on SoundCloud. If you just search UK Packers, you'll be able to find it. Up next, our big topic, let's talk wide receivers. But first, a word from our sponsors. This week, the Blue 58 podcast is sponsored by Squarespace, or it would be, if Squarespace was aware that we existed and wanted to sponsor our podcast. You see, we're a pretty new outfit here at the Power Sweep, and we haven't collected any sponsors for our various enterprises yet. None for the podcast, none for the blog, really none for anything that we have going on. If you are a faithful Blue 58 listener or a devout reader of thepowersweep.com, perhaps you consider reaching out to Gary or myself on the World Wide Web and offering your support to one of the ventures we have going on. We'd be more than happy to talk with you, and you can reach us at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com or through Facebook or Twitter. Now back to the show. Blue 58, hit, hit. 
All right, the big podcast topic I wanted to talk about today is wide receivers. We spent a little bit of time talking about it last week, touched on Trevor Davis, touched on Jared Aberderis, their chances of making the roster, who else is going to be on the roster with them. And as I said in a piece that I wrote during our first week at thepowersweep.com, I don't think that the Packers are going to keep seven wide receivers. That's been the hot theory this offseason, that the Packers could keep seven. It was, if they did it, uh, not entirely unheard of in the NFL, and certainly given the skill sets of the guys that the Packers have out there, not entirely unreasonable. But I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't think that's how things are going to work out. Interestingly enough, I think that you can make a pretty compelling case that the Packers would at least have room on their roster to do that if they should decide to do so. Uh, Working through my roster projection that I put out on the first day of training camp, you can see the spaces that the Packers have on their roster for seven wide receivers. It's there. If they wanted to do it, they could. I just don't think that they will. And if I had to guess, I would say the odd man out probably going to be Jared Aberderis. Interestingly enough, though, Packers coach Mike McCarthy weighed in on this this week, made the rare, I don't know if it was intentional or not, made the rare sort of statement on the roster that you almost never hear him make. This from an article from the Journal Sentinel talking about how Jared Aberderis actually coming on pretty strong in training camp so far this year. Uh, A section of that article called Odd Men Out. Uh, Tom Silverstein wrote this earlier this week. After a season in which injuries ravaged the wide receiver core, the Packers entered training camp with six players on the roster who contributed at some point last year. Tossin rookie Trevor Davis, a fifth-round pick from California, and the position resembles rush hour in Manhattan. With so much depth and so much youth, pundits and fans alike floated the idea of as many as seven receivers earning spots on the 53-man roster. But Coach Mike McCarthy tossed out two different numbers during his news conference earlier this week. And if those numbers hold, there will be at least one odd man out and maybe more. Quoting now McCarthy, you like to think that you can have six wide receivers coming out of camp, but really the players decide that, McCarthy said. Maybe it'll be five. You want to be able to roll those guys in there. Perhaps the competition, Silverstein writes, is even more intense than anyone thought. Perhaps indeed. So let's explore this issue a little bit more in depth. I want to spin this a couple different ways. Okay, positively, you can look at this as, oh, just coach speak. Oh, the Packers may end up keeping seven wide receivers, and they have every reason to do so. We look at the big seven, the seven top guys on the roster right now. Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Devontae Adams, Ty Montgomery, Jeff Janis, Trevor Davis, and Jared Abraderis. Looking at that from a completely positive perspective, you say to yourself, wow, what they could do here is really just keep these seven guys and kind of tailor their wide receiver lineup every week based on the sort of matchups that you want to exploit. So you've got some team where you really want to go big. You want to play your biggest, strongest wide receivers. Well, maybe Trevor Davis and Jared Aberderis are inactive and you go, you roll out Nelson and Adams and Janice and you really attack them with some size. Or maybe you want to run a whole bunch of spread-type stuff. Well, maybe you sit down Janice and Adams, and you roll out Cobb, Montgomery, Davis, and Aberderis. Run spread offense all day long. Just have fast little wide receivers running all over the field. 
Maybe that's how you spin it. Maybe the Packers are just so skilled at wide receiver, they can keep all seven of these guys, and it's just going to be the most wonderful thing ever. They will have an abundance of passing riches. Throw in Jared Cook, throw in Richard Rodgers, Eddie Lacy, the rejuvenated wide receivers, and they're just going to pass the ball left and right, up the middle. Going to be great. What if it doesn't work out that way? What if you want to spin it the other way? What if Jordy Nelson's knee injury hiccup that he said turns out to be a bigger deal? What if he can't get back to full strength? Strength. What if, as a result, Randall Cobb can't carry the load by himself? Again, we saw that last year. What if Devontae Adams just has completely shattered confidence? He's just broken. He's got the yips permanently forever. Ty Montgomery can't work back from his ankle injury. He starts the season on the the pup list. He's out the first six weeks of the season. Never gets back to full strength. It's another year before we get the full Ty Montgomery again. The full Monty, as it were. Jeff Janis, what if he doesn't develop into a big play threat? What if he doesn't develop into a wide receiver at all? Uh, What if all Trevor Davis can do is run fast? He's got straight line speed, we know that. What if he can't ever become a polished wide receiver? And of course, Jared Aberderis has had his fair share, more than his fair share, of relatively serious injury concerns. What if he's just one play away from a career-ending concussion? I suppose there, but for the grace of God, go all of us. But Jared Aberderis seems to have had his uh, significant injuries in the past already. What's to say it couldn't happen again in the future? I think this is a great example of what an article on acmepackingcompany.com calls the Nelson Cascade. This was an article uh, the folks at the Acme Packing Company released last week by a guy by the name of Paul Noonan. He released the article on July 26th, 2016. And I'll link to this in the show notes, but it's something that you're going to definitely want to check out uh, more fully on your own. And I want to talk about this section of the article he calls the Nelson Cascade. He points out, and I'm going to read the parts of the article here, uh, reading from the article now, the Packers are bringing back essentially the same group of receivers as last season, with rookie Trevor Davis taking the spot previously occupied by James Jones. Davis was a productive college player with excellent straight line speed, but was not considered much of a prospect, which is why he lasted into the fifth round, where some still considered this pick a reach. He is likely on the team for his special teams acumen more than anything. If he makes a significant impact on the offense, it will be pretty the big five for the Packers this year are Nelson Cobb, Adams, Montgomery, and Janice. No offense to Jared Aberderis, he says. He's also in the mix. He points out that last year taught us a great deal about how these parts interact, and to be productive, it all starts with Jordy Nelson. As it stands, still reading from the piece, the Packers, outside of Nelson, do not have better outside receivers, uh, meaning a receiver that a guy like Randall Cobb would be able to work with to be the slot receiver that he truly is. They will bring back Devontae Adams and again hope for big improvement. They will bring back playoff hero Jeff Janis, but he will have to do more than catch Hail Mary passes uh, to serve as an adequate threat. Ty Montgomery will be back doing essentially what Cobb does. And to be truly great, it looks like Cobb needs that outside threat. And there is nothing wrong with that as Cobb is amazing when he has those matchups and space to work. But because he needs another star around, it also doubles the Packers' risk. I agree with everything that he says there, and it's putting a lot of pressure on Jordy Nelson to come back and be the Jordy Nelson that we saw last year. If he can't be, or 2014, if he can't be that kind of guy, the Packers are in all kinds of trouble because of how it will affect 
the, the rest of the receivers. Something I think we need to look at when we think about the way the Packers receivers interact with each other is essentially two different wide receiver positions. All right. When you think of Jordy Nelson and we think of Randall Cobb, those are really the two main archetypes of wide receiver that the Packers have. Jordy Nelson is an outside receiver, sometimes called a perimeter receiver. Typically, he'll be lined up closer to the sideline, outside the hash marks, probably matched up with the opposing team's biggest, most physical cornerback. He's the guy that's responsible for what they call taking the top off the defense, making the safeties move back, making the safeties uh, respect the potential deep threat. Randall Cobb is a great example of an inside receiver, a slot receiver. He's going to line up inside Jordy Nelson, closer to uh, the offensive line, a little bit back off the line, and he's going to run those shorter crossing routes kind of underneath or closer to the quarterback than when Jordy Nelson, than where Jordy Nelson is really going to operate. So if you look at how the Packers receiving core works together, hopefully you're going to have some kind of mix of outside receivers and inside receivers. And what Noonan is saying in this piece is that outside of Jordy Nelson, the Packers don't have a proven outside receiver. Devontae Adams should be that guy, but he hasn't been to this point in his career. And it's worth wondering if he can ever be that kind of guy. And beyond that, though guys like Jared Aberderis and Trevor Davis are pretty tall, the way that they play really functions more as that inside receiver, that slot receiver sort of person. Jeff Janis, it would be really great if he developed into Jordy Nelson 2.0, but it kind of looks like that's just not going to happen. If he hasn't gotten what it takes to be a wide receiver by this point in in his career, when is that going to happen? When is he going to become this sort of route running wide receiver that the Packers need him to be? Being super fast is great. Being really tall is excellent. But not being able to run actual routes and be where Aaron Rodgers thinks you're going to be when he thinks you're going to be there is of no use to anybody. You could go down to the YMCA in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and probably find one guy who could be close to as athletic as Jeff Janis. But if he can't run wide or if he can't run routes like an NFL wide receiver should, random guy from the YMCA probably isn't any more valuable to you than Jeff Janis. Now Janis, of course, adds a lot on special teams. He's a great punt cover guy. He does a pretty good job as a kickoff returner. But if he can't function as an actual wide receiver, what good does he does he do to your roster? What good does he bring to your roster? He doesn't do anything. He doesn't help you at all. And that's where the Packers wide receiver core could be in trouble. Now, I would like to point out, as part of this theory about the inside and outside receivers, that most of the undrafted free agent types that the Packers have in camp that, the, that uh, guys seem to be excited about are that bigger outside perimeter guy type. Uh, two of the biggest names uh, that we've heard coming out of training camp, one guy coming back for a second go-round with the Packers, and one guy in camp as an undrafted rookie this year, are Jamel Johnson and Geronimo Allison. I love Geronimo Allison just because he's named Geronimo Allison. But if you look at his physical measurables, he also sort of fits that pretty prototypical outside receiver type. He's six foot three. 202 pounds, long, lanky, maybe not a burner, super fast guy, 
but he can make those catches on the perimeter. Jamel Johnson also kind of fits that sort of archetype. He goes 6'2", 217, pretty big dude. That's pretty hefty size for a wide receiver. Other than uh, Jordy Nelson and Jeff Janis, there's nobody else bigger on the roster at wide receiver than Jamel Johnson. Uh, Devontae Adams is shorter uh, and lighter than Jamel Johnson. I'm not saying that guys like Johnson or Allison are going to take anybody's job or be one of those six or seven guys the Packers keep on the roster, but you can see what the Packers are thinking here. They know that they need those outside receivers, and if Jordy Nelson can't be healthy, the Packers could be in big trouble this year. I feel like I'm I'm leaving this topic a little bit not fully addressed, Uh so much of this is wait and see. We're going to start getting a good idea who can do what this weekend in the very, the very first uh, preseason game. But I think there is reason both for hope and for concern. Like I said earlier, you can spin this one of two ways. You can be positive about it and say, well, the Packers are just so deep. They've got so many, so many guys. How are you ever going to choose? These guys' skill sets are just so different and so varied that you might as well keep all of them and find an interesting way to use them. That would be great. But it's also possible that things may not go as perfectly as we hope that they will and that the Packers could be in a little bit more trouble uh, than they believe or than, than we believe that they might be. It'll be certainly interesting to see what happens with the wide receiver uh, core throughout the remainder of training camp. To kind of close this out, I want to leave you with, I, with what I thought was a really interesting bit from the, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel Packers podcast with Michael Cohen and Bob McGinn uh, this week. They talked a little bit about wide receivers, too. And just listen to what Bob McGinn says about the receiving core in training camp this year. How do you sort of assess their depth, one to seven, with those seven guys? I looked it up tonight, Mike. They kept five in eight of the last nine seasons. And what did they keep in one, the nine? six. Six, okay. And McCarthy's first year, they kept four. Okay. I mean, it's going to be five. You think so? These guys aren't that good. So to recap, they're just going to keep five because these guys aren't that good. I would like to think at my most negative, I could still find a way to be a little bit more positive about the Packers wide receiving core than Bob McGinn. That's going to do it for the big topic this week. Let's take a look at some of your letters and questions here on Blue 58 this week. All right, we have three questions for the mailbag this week. And as always, you can reach us several different ways if you would like your question to be featured in a future episode of Blue 58. A uh, couple ways to get out, get your name out there. Uh, first, uh, to Facebook and Twitter, two obvious choices and probably your best options for getting in touch with us. You can leave us a Facebook message or do whatever you need to do through either of those social media platforms. Uh, both usernames in those situations will be the at symbol and then the power sweep, all one word. If you'd really like to get a hold of us uh, via email, you can do that as well. The address is thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Again, that's thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. And I do feel like I have to explain the email address a little bit. Uh, when we were setting up uh, the website and all that, uh, we needed to have an email address just to do whatever, all of the, the different things that you have to register for to get get in a website and do the things you need to do to get it off the ground. 
We wanted to be the power sweep at gmail.com, but apparently somebody has that email address already. So we threw 1959 on the end because that's the year that Vince Lombardi joined the Packers. Put them together, you have the power sweep 1959 at gmail.com. At any rate, if you would like to get in touch with the program, Facebook and Twitter probably your best bet. Email, also an option. Uh, probably do that as a last resort. Be that as it may, we have three questions for you this week, and here they are. Uh, coming from Liz in Bloomington, what are you looking for in this weekend's Hall of Fame game? So a couple things that I'm looking for. First, I want to see which starters uh, Mike McCarthy is actually brave enough to play. I really don't think we're going to see Aaron Rodgers this weekend at all. Uh, Jordy Nelson, obviously not going to be out there. I sure hope we don't see Aaron Rodgers. Uh, why expose him to risk in a fifth preseason game if you don't have to I think we're going to have the Brett Hundley show and it's going to be pretty amazing to see what Mr. Hundley can do I'm really excited to see Brett Hundley and the sort of things he can offer the Packers in his his really uh, I don't want to say his first year as an actual member of the Packers but really I don't think he was ever active for a game last year uh, they just wanted him to, to sit around and absorb the playbook and all that sort of stuff uh Hundley seems to have done that. The reviews have been amazing out of training camp, so we'll see what he can do in, I almost said, an actual game, in as close to an actual game as we can get this side of the preseason. Secondly, I just want to see what sort of uh, substitution patterns Mike McCarthy gets into. How quickly does he rotate his defensive lineman? What's going on with linebacker? How much playing time are the lower-end guys on the roster at positions like cornerback getting? What sort of undrafted free agent action are we going to see from uh, from the cornerbacks and stuff like that? Interesting to see who gets into the game and when. Finally, and this is something that I would always advise people watching preseason games to do, I want to see who is active on special teams. To make a roster in the NFL, especially if you're one of those guys who finds himself in maybe the uh, 45 to 53 range on the roster, the bottom end of the roster, uh, the guys who are the deep, deep backups at position like positions like linebacker and quarterback. Who gets into the game on special teams? Who's covering punts? Who's covering kicks? Who is on the punt coverage team? Uh, who's, who's blocking for punts? Uh, things like that. If you can contribute on special teams, there's a good chance that you end up making the roster no matter what you do anywhere else. So keep a close eye on who is playing on special teams and where they're doing those things. So those would be the three th big things that I'm looking for in this weekend's Hall of Fame game. Question number two from Eric in Chicago. Brett Favre is going into the Hall of Fame this weekend on my birthday, as a matter of fact, on August 6th. Uh, do you have any specific memories of his career? Well, of course, I have all kinds of memories of Brett Favre's career. But I was thinking actually the other day, and this is probably something that's going to end up on the blog at some point on thepowersweep.com, uh, but I've the one of my first early memories of Brett Favre uh, isn't actually from like his his first season in Green Bay. I wish I could remember the 1992 season, but the, really the first first season I really remember is like the last half of the 1995 season, and then the 1996 season when they would of course go on to win the Super Bowl. Uh, but from that 1996 season, relatively early in the year, the Packers went out to Seattle and played the Seattle Seahawks in what was then the Kingdome, just from the from what it looks like on TV and what I can remember at the time, it just looked like a garbage place to play. But Aaron, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre in that game 
made one of the most incredible plays that I, to that point, had ever seen on a football field and still amazes me today. You probably know the one that I'm talking to. The, the, the pocket breaks down. Favre starts to scramble left and kind of flips the ball backhanded into the end zone, I believe, to Antonio Freeman, who catches it for a touchdown. And I believe the Packers' 1996 highlight tape refers to it as something that you might see more commonly on a basketball court than on a football field. And I I agree with that. It's it's just incredible. And it was one of those things like as as an eight-year-old seeing it and being like, you can do that? That's something that you can do in a football game? Brett Favre was full of moments like that, good and bad, I might add. Just things that you see him do them and wonder, you can do that? And then you, you come up with other moments. Uh, also from that 1996 season, I believe it was after Antonio Freeman broke his arm, where there was a play when they played in Chicago that Favre kind of just laid the ball out for Freeman, and Freeman made this diving catch over a, a defensive back. Uh, Favre's game uh, after his dad died comes to mind. Uh, the Seattle playoff game in the snow uh, is another one that comes to mind. Uh, plenty of bad memories too, unfortunately, but that's kind of what you get with Brett Favre. You have to kind of take with the, the bad with the good, but it, it, we were so spoiled really to have Brett Favre. And you, you forget sometimes, I think with some of the things that happened after he left Green Bay and that entire process, exactly how good he was. But for those three MVP seasons in a row, he was as good as a quarterback could possibly be. And I think you can put those three seasons up against any run of three seasons that any quarterback has ever had in the NFL. I, I don't know if you find someone who has had that kind of success over three consecutive seasons and far just incredible. But those are a couple of memories for you. Those are a couple of things that I think of as uh, Brett Favre heads towards the Hall of Fame this weekend. Finally, another sort of Favre-related question. Joe and Sheboygan wants to know, uh, with Favre being known as the Iron Man that he was, uh, aside from his consecutive game streak, which Packers record do you think will never be broken? I'm actually going to give you three records that I think are never going to be broken. Uh, so three for the price of one here. Uh, first, I think Don Hudson's uh, scoring record. Uh, not his overall scoring record, not like points or anything like that, uh, but his touchdowns record. Don Hudson scored 105 touchdowns in his Packers career. For a little bit of context, number two on that list, Jim Taylor had 91. Third place on that list, Amon Green with 68. So you've got Don Hudson, a gap of 14 touchdowns, probably a season or two worth, then Jim Taylor, then everyone else after a much, much larger gap. Hudson was so successful, and I know the era was different, and he might have been playing against some substandard competition in the post-war NFL years, but he was so good. 105 touchdowns, just incredible. The active record holder on the Packers, or the, the person on the team with the, the, the current lead for touchdowns, Jordy Nelson with 49. Nelson's been in the league since 2008. He could double his career touchdown total, and still have work to do to catch Don Hudson. That record is never going to be broken. Uh, secondly, I think Amon Green's uh, career rushing record, if it's if it's ever going to be broken, I don't know. It's going to be tough. 
if it's going to be broken, it's going to be for not going to be for a while. And I don't think a guy like Eddie Lacy is going to be the guy to do it. At 8,322 yards, uh, he is first all time. Uh, he's got 115 yards on Jim Taylor in second. And then there's a big gap again down to John Brockington at 5,024 yards. So I think Amon Green's career rushing record is going to be pretty much untouchable for anybody on the Packers in the foreseeable future. Finally, another Amon Green-centric record. I don't think that anybody on the Packers is ever going to touch his single-season record of 1,883 rushing yards. That was just an incredible season. He averaged 5.3 yards per carry for the entire season that year. Pretty incredible number. An overall average of 117.7 yards per game. They They were feeding him more than 22 carries a game that season. Just an unreal total and something that we are never going to see from the Packers again. So those are the three records that I think are never going to be broken, and I think for very good reason we can assume that uh, they will never uh, have anybody come close to those numbers again, at least not for the foreseeable future. going to be really tough. That's going to be pretty much it for this week. That's the show. Thank you so much for listening, for sticking it out through this uh, 30-some minutes of me babbling again. Hopefully it's been worth your time, and Uh, If it has been worth your time, please go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and uh, give us a rating on iTunes as well. That'll help more people find the program. We are also now available uh, for your listening pleasure through Google Play. So if you have an Android device and you listen to podcasts uh, that way, you can go go ahead and dial us up on uh, Google Play as well. Uh, Be sure to keep checking in at thepowersweep.com. We have those field reports coming every day that the Packers have practice and even some of the days when they don't. Gary doing an incredible job getting those put together, plus all sorts of great Packers storytelling content coming for you courtesy of uh, thepowersweep.com. Thank you so much for listening. For Gary Zillaby, this has been John Muirdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58. Used to date.